Tech's guinea pig. Australia has always been a place where companies experiment. Domino Pizza tested delivery robots. Facebook tested something called rooms where you can talk to strangers. They tried Tinder social for group dates. All the bad ideas die in Australia. And my next guest is one of the leading business journalists and authors who's been following this stuff for decades. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Media Jungle Video Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Regeer, coming to you every week to break down the business behind the news industry, the future of media, and the creator economy. Subscribe to our Substack newsletter and YouTube channel. Leave a review if you like this show. On this episode, we're joined by Tim Burrows, author of Unmade, Australian Media's Most Disruptive Decade, and founder of Mumbrella, a leading media and marketing publication. You can find him on Substack. So what do the Australians think about being called the... Tech's guinea pig. <laughs> well, look, it's definitely something that I've noticed that we're, we're, we're one of those kind of Goldilocks markets, I suppose, you know, where we're big enough that you can try something and know whether it works or not. And small enough that if you're a global player, it doesn't ruin everything and you may be just off Broadway enough. So you you, you do see these experiments, you know, uh, uh you know, as, as, as you've alluded to, we sometimes see the social media players try try things differently. Um, you know, I write as well as writing about the media world, I write about the advertising and marketing world, and you certainly see some of the big consultancies um, try new models here, you know, where they dip their toe into the advertising world to see if it's a world for them. Um, and then you see them roll it out on the global stage. What the media landscape is like in Australia and how it's different from the US or England or other other places. So we get a kind of lay of the land. I suppose the first thing that people always notice when they come to the Australian media industry is how relatively consolidated it is. So when it comes to news, you know, the news mastheads, whether it was newspapers or online publishing, dominated by News Corp. So, you know, the the obviously Australia is the, the original home of News Corp. We're uh, uh, just just a, a, a few weeks away from the 50th anniversary of Rupert Murdoch taking the helm. Um, so, so that is definitely underlying drumbeat. But then, you know, in the same way in, in, in television, there are really only two or three uh, major players when it comes to free-to-air television. So again, quite a small sort of consolidated thing. Um, and, the, and, and the same really goes by medium by medium. You know, as a, something somebody once said to me about Australia is, you know, in every industry in Australia, there's room for about two and a half players. And that really does seem to be true in the media as well. What does that mean for media when it's very consolidated and very centralized? The major issue, I think, when it comes to sort of the public interest, I suppose, is that you, you, you tend not to get the diversity of voices that you might get elsewhere. You know, there's a, uh, there, particularly when it comes to kind of, you know, the, the, the very mainstream media, 
you know, there are a narrow range of voices, which tends to mean that the politics can become quite homogenized as well, I suppose. And the recent kind of news or semi-recent news that uh, that they've changed the law that Facebook and Google will have to pay news publishers. It sounds really great. I know it was pushed by News Corp. It was basically them strongholding Facebook and Google. Is that as good as it sounds or is it... Uh, is there a lot of things you have to be wary about? Yeah, the, the, this was such a defining moment for Australia's media. And it said so much about Australians' media. The fact that um, the government of the time was willing to change the law to create this news media bargaining code, which effectively meant that um, Facebook and Google, if they were designated, would have had to pay publishers for the right to link to their content. Now, in the end, we ended up with this grubby compromise where uh, they're all leaned on or the, in the end, we had this grubby compromise where the two of them were, 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 were leaned on to do deals with the publishers, uh, really on non-commercial terms to give them a lot of money to avoid being designated. Um, now, what that meant was for the big end of town when it came to publishing, they did great because they got to do the deals. Um, what's tended to happen, though, is there's been this sort of long tail of much smaller publishers who haven't been able to do deals, particularly with Facebook. Google have done quite a lot. Facebook, not so many. So you you, you now have this even more un, un, uneven playing field where the big publishers have this extra revenue stream coming in where, you know, Facebook and Google are basically having to pay them a tax, uh, but that money isn't trickling through to the smaller media companies who also want to compete in that playing field. So it's it's kind of imperfect. Um, probably puts the publishers in a in a certainly the big publishers in a better position than otherwise they were. But yeah, wow, it said an awful lot about the, the, the point in Australia where politics meets the media business. Is there anything for people who are uh, media observers or executives to should know that they might be able to learn from the Australia media environment right now? One of the big themes, I think, that certainly we've seen in Australia, and I suspect this is a this is a bit of a bit of a global theme as well, because we're existing within this this ecosystem where there's a pendulum. And for the last 10 years, we've seen this pendulum swing in the way that media is funded in Australia. So, you know, for most of its history, media was funded in Australia through advertising. Um, you know, whether it's free-to-air television, whether it's newspapers, etc. And that began to change a decade ago as recruitment advertising disappeared from the newspapers and went online. Um, as streaming came through, for instance, you know, from about 2015 onwards. So you saw this sort of change to where actually consumers choosing to subscribe, you know, whether it was to, to the streaming services, your Netflix or whatever, or whether it was, you know, to read newspapers online. And that actually became a more important revenue stream than advertising for the for the first time in media's history. And that was really stark in Australia. And it's also been interesting to see the pendulum just begin to to swing back a little as well. You know, as we we see, hey, look, you know, Netflix, Netflix subscriptions peak and uh, 
announced plans to begin having an advertising supported tier as well. So we we are, I think, beginning to see this sort of new appreciation of the role of advertising in the ecosystem. And I and I think that's a trend that's been quite well advanced in Australia, which I'm sure we're, we'll be seeing globally as well. You built a B2B media company and you sold it recent, pretty recently. Um, maybe you could just start from the beginning. First, why did you start Mumbrella? Uh, and and did, was there a moment where you knew it was going to be successful? I was involved in starting Mumbrella. I was sort of the first employee, I suppose, back in 2008. I'd been you know, working in the trade press around the world for some time. I'd, I'd edited Media Week in, in the UK and had then edited a publication for the media and advertising industry in the Middle East before yeah, coming to Australia, working for a you know, much more traditional print-based title for a couple of years before starting Mumbrella. And really it was just a moment and an opportunity where it suddenly got cheap for journalists to publish their own stuff. So if you talk to journalists, you know, a decade before, they'd have had to mortgage their house to get the first edition of a magazine out. But now it was something you could, you know, you could you you could jump online for, you know, for 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 almost nothing. Start a WordPress site. Um, email was just becoming cheap as well. So that sort of became a sort of extra sort of you know weapon. So it all it, it it all kind of came through and then tied in with social media being a way of transmitting the work that you were doing it all came together so so it was the right moment to do something so you know along with um a couple of business partners we started yeah we started Mumbrella which which as you say we we, we sold back in back in 2017 we were um I suppose um, relatively fortunate to given that by then we were quite quite an events business to be out before the pandemic switched off the events world. I'm sure one of the advice you would give is to hit one the pan's hot. Uh, the good times don't always remain. I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that. Uh, what, what types of advice would you give people who are building B2B media brands? The one thing that's always struck me is when you talk to people and they tell you their plans, the ones where you get a bit of an inkling, oh, I'm not sure about this. When you think about the, the, the common factor, it's where they're not thinking about their audience. They're thinking too much about just the business model or the advertiser customers or whatever it is. So it does feel to me that, that media and publishing is so much an audience first thing, even when it's not necessarily the audience who's funding it. So, so you, you know, I suppose the one thing we always did was we never thought about what the end game was. And, you know, I've since started my new thing, which is unmade.media. And again, it's about the audience. It's you, 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 you write for the audience, you serve for the audience, you, and you try new things. And, you know, we, we certainly tried a few things, you know, with Mumbrella that didn't work. But we were always kind of striving to fulfill some sort of need or gap in understanding for our audience. So, so that I personally, I think, is the single biggest thing you can do to succeed is is offer some sort of 
sounds really obvious, but some sort of service to your audience. And is that more, you say, gap in understanding that sort of like an editorial look? Is that more editorial or is that more like how you market to your audience? How do you get them to click or get them to engage? Yeah, I suppose one of the natures of publishing these days is, is you need all of those things. So for me, the sort of the starting point, and this is probably because I'm a journalist by background, so that's where I come at it, is servicing your audience now you know every journalist does that differently depending on who the audience is you know i'm you know i'm you know a specialist journalist in the in the b2b world that happens to be that interesting world of media and marketing so i'm you know when i'm writing something i'm i'm trying to write it or analyze it through the lens of offering the context and an analysis to my audience of what's important to them. Um, but clearly you then need to pick up the skills to, you know, to market your content as well, because, um, you know, without that, you, you know, you, you, you don't find the audience. Um, and I think that's the sort of hidden thing is the rules of that keep changing, of course. How do you grow an audience when your audience is a niche business publication? How, how do you can't, you can't get a viral video that'll boost your audience. How do you, how do you find the people who would be interested in your content? Well, look, social media obviously is one place that's good for tribes. You know, my experience going a second time with 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 Unmade is, you know, Twitter is not the rocket fuel it was the first time round. You know, and we we just I think when we went last time, it was just as Twitter was coming through and the sort of early adopters on there were the sort of people we wanted to talk to from our industry. Um, so my instinct is that. Obviously, LinkedIn is a great way of talking to tribes. Um, but then the other secret weapon is email. You know, email is so important. So first and foremost, Unmade is a newsletter. It's on the Substack platform. Um, but what that means is you're, you have the ability to send to your audience a reminder that you exist whenever you have a piece of content. So that, you know, that that is something which um, is incredibly valuable because you're creating habits, you know, if you, and if you can then build the habit that people automatically expect that when something drops in their inbox, it's going to reward their choosing to open it and click through, then those are the things where it's not just what the headline is in the email that matters, but their expectations, even subconscious of what you've written before, that they'll get something of value or something they enjoy if they do click. So yeah, email is really great for reinforcing those habits. Yeah. What's the secret for what have you found has been most successful in getting those types of people to share or engage with the content, right? Because they're more of a serious, less, they're not just sitting there on social media commenting, you know, how, what types of stuff works to uh, grow your audience through your audience? Yeah, look, the shareable stuff is not always the stuff you think. And, and, and it's very, very rarely the stuff that you've worked hardest on, I've realized. So so sometimes, you know, and, and, and sometimes we can just underestimate is, you, you know, you, you'll make a point or you'll write something which you'll feel is a bit obvious. You feel like you've said it before, but you, 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 you know, you, you cover the ground and you lay it all out. And then it just really seems to take off, you know, so you'll suddenly see it being shared on social media or whatever it is. So I'm not sure there's one formula. And again, you know, I, I, I guess my approach has always been quite slow and steady. So, you know, I, I, I guess I've never really written for shareability. You know, I've, I've kind of, you know, written 
for my existing audience and hope to slowly build through word of mouth. And then it's a bonus if every now and then something kind of really does does take off. But I I, I suspect that particularly when you're writing in as a specialist journalist, it's actually quite um it's, it's, it's probably quite self-defeating to, you know, to write for the clicks because, of course, you know, if the substance isn't there as well, then the audience doesn't tend to keep coming back. When selling your uh, the the media brand, how uh, what's what's kind of the process that how the process you go through when you're looking that you have to decide if you want to sell, you have to actively start talking to people. How did that process play out? So this was a process which it, it, it took a long time, and we weren't certain of what the outcome would be. You know, as I as I mentioned before, I had a couple of other business partners. Um, one of whom I work with in the business and another one was, you know, effectively a silent investor. And over the years, he hadn't had much of a return because it had always tended to, you know, reinvest what we brought into the business in, 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 in growth. So it, it sort of became a point where it would be fair to find an exit for him. So that was where we kind of went into the process. And, you know, we, we, you know, we, we actually, you know, brought in somebody who, you know, leads these processes to kind of, you know, guide us through it. And it was very much, you know, finding a way of telling our story. Um, you know, you, you, you need a vision for where you're going to go next and then seeing who's out there. And then you realize that every conversation you have with every potential partner or acquirer or whatever it ends up being is different. And if it comes to the point where they put something on the table, they all structure it differently as well. So, you you know, you have to think about what looks right for you and, you know, your life going forward. So, so as I say, I, you know, I, I sold in the end of 2017 and I could have stayed, I, I, I was obliged to stay for two years, um, but I chose to stay for about four because, you know, it, 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 it worked for me. You know, I was, you know, uh, I, you know, the the, 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 the acquirers made it easy to stay longer, you know, all of those things. So, it, it, you know, an awful lot is when someone sells is about what they, you know, what I guess what they want from their life going forward. But also, of course, um, you know, some people, I suppose, are successful at building a business with the the intention of how they'll get their exit at the other end of, but I've never been very good at that. So we, you know, that exit crept up on us a little bit and it was a good exit, but um, it wasn't always the plan. Let's talk a little bit about your book, Unmade. It breaks down the decade from 2010 to 2020 in Australia's media landscape. Maybe you could kind of give us a high level overview, catch us up on what happened over that decade that you, from your book and also how that might have some relation to what's happening in the US. I guess the idea occurred for, um, for the book. Um, I suppose the timing was actually probably possibly even before the pandemic started. But I just had this thought that we'd had this really interesting decade, if you can call 2010 to 2021. I guess it's a 12 year decade. Um, so I, I, I kind of wanted to tell the story of how Australia's media had got there, which is obviously a global story as well, because, you know, there are plenty of global players here in Australia too. Um, and then some, you know, so much of it once, um, you know, once once the publisher accepted the idea, that was how the how the book Media Unmade came about. And then the hardest thing was actually finding a way of telling that story that wasn't really dry and textbook. So I ended up um, kind of, you know, 
sitting just to my left of where I'm sitting in my office now with this with this this this, this giant cork board on an easel where I I kind of plotted along the top each medium and then down the side each year and with tiny little bits of index paper you know all of the significant events till I had maybe 200 events and then you know honestly it was um you, 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 I guess maybe what I hadn't appreciated is, is is there's 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 a lot of structure building before you write a word, and then off to my right I had a whiteboard where I I tried to create effectively a three act structure, just like you would for a fictional story, to kind of um, tell all of the interconnecting stories, and and that's the thing, you know, in, in Australia like anywhere else, there are so many interconnecting stories where. You know, you'll have the Murdoch family and you'll have, you know, Lachlan Murdoch leaving the company and going off and starting his own um, business where, you know, he ends up running a very successful radio network in Australia before coming back to the family. And by then, you know, the, the purchases he'd helped News Corp make in real estate publishing was what was making the company safe, you know, and so on. So you, you had so many sort of strands and themes that um, it was really a question of finding ways of telling those stories and, and, and making the most of the fact that I'd been reporting them myself. What's the wrong way to tell those types of stories, historical stories? I think one of the problem, one of the, the risks is, is it's such an interesting world. So not to get lost in the dryness of the numbers, you know, to find a way of using those numbers to illustrate a wider point. And, you know, often, you know, numbers are a great way of telling a story. And I'm give us a few points from the book that you've sort of thought through. I, I suppose a few of the sort of themes that came through, and one of them we've talked about already is the pendulum. Absolutely. The, the, the book and it's one of those things, it's only when you sit down and look at the trends that you really realise what was coming through. So so it was in the process of writing the book that I really realised we'd seen this sort of pendulum swing away from advertising-supported media to um, uh, consumer-pays media, whether it was on video streaming or, or, or news. So that was one. Um, another key one, which definitely a trend we've seen repeated in the UK maybe not so much in the US, but maybe you can tell me that, is um, public service broadcasting being under threat. You know, so we, 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 we've certainly seen the, the, the trend here in Australia and at a distance I've observed it in the UK as well, where whenever you tend to have a right-leaning government, they tend to be quite confrontational with the um, the public service broadcaster, particularly when they do news, and that funding ends up under threat. So so that, that was a theme, you know, we... You know, we get, you know, I guess one of the sad things is, you know, as we speak in 2022, the the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, has never been weaker, really. You know, there's the, 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 there's recently been a change of government in Australia who have given a bit more funding. But, you know, one of the great Australian cultural institutions has really been weakened over the last, you know, last few years. So, so th- that that has been a real trend of kind of, confrontation you know and you've you've got this and you and, and you you know you you can't rule out news corporation or news corps role in that because you know news corp has traditionally been quite skeptical or hostile towards public service broadcasting around the world and then of course often tends to have the ear particularly of of, of when you know when governments lead lead to the right so you have this kind of 
um, what I describe in the book as the thruple from hell in News Corp and the government and the ABC, where there's just this really dysfunctional relationship between the three of them. But is there any uh, silver lining you can leave us with? I think the way in in the way the book told the story, um, ah, um, I, I guess our our ending as much as it was was this news media bargaining code coming through and suddenly guaranteeing the certainly short-term and medium-term funding of journalism from the from the big end of town so you know it it, it was kind of a happy it was a it was a complex and grubby happy ending but it was kind of a happy ending. Well, thank you so much. We'll leave it there, Tim. Uh, you can find by Tim's book, Unmade, Australian Media's Most Disruptive Decade. You can also find Tim at the Unmade Substack. Uh, thanks for listening and see you next week. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. By the way, we also are a video podcast where you can see extra memes, charts, visuals about the segments. So you can find that on YouTube or subscribe to our Substack newsletter for exclusive updates. And thank you so much for listening. See you next week.